Well, good morning, Harvest. It's good to have this time with you this morning and um, to get into God's Word with you. We're in Habakkuk, uh, actually chapters 1 and 2 this morning, finishing up chapter 1 and getting into chapter uh, 2. Hey, just before we get there, though, you know, you're already hearing it that uh, our re-entry date is Sunday, July the 5th, and so we're excited to be uh, returning to in-person worship here at 7 George Street and so the live stream is going to continue. That's not going to end. And we know uh, that, uh, you know, probably a portion of you are going to be okay with coming back to in-person worship. We're excited about that, uh, welcoming you back to this building, subject to all the restrictions we have. But, um, uh, but also continuing on with those of you who feel more comfortable at home or should stay home, uh, we're going to have the live stream continuing uh, through that time. So July 5th, mark your calendar on that. If you want more details about that, sent out an email on Thursday. It was in the EB on Friday, and you can access that as well on our website or on our socials. You'll find that announcement, that video announcement, and again, much more to come in terms of details. All right, ready for God's Word? Again, Habakkuk 1 and 2. Um, you know, asking questions is the stuff of great leadership and wise living. We should be asking good questions all the time, A, even of God. As Christians, you think about that. But even as God, we should be asking God great questions. And we all recognize, I think we'd all say, God's big enough to handle whatever question we would uh, throw at him and provide us with the answer. And that's what we see with Habakkuk here. He's asking some questions. He's a Jewish prophet. He lived 600 years approximately before the time of Christ. And he asked God some questions that in his day, many, many people were asking and all of them were boiling down in essence, all the different questions, different ways of saying it, were all boiling down really to one question. We made that the title of this series, Where is God? Where are you, God, in the midst of the difficulties we're going through? Do you see what's happening around us? Are you listening? Do you care? Can you even help us? Where is God? The back and forth that we see in the book of Habakkuk, these questions, these complaints leveled toward God and God's responses back to the prophet provide us with some clues in how to handle our own conversations with God, our own prayers about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because God does invite our questions about the circumstances we're facing. God invites our questions. He patiently hears us out, and answers us. But when facing all these various crises and bringing them to God in the form of questions and complaints, as believers, what we're going to see in the passage today, as believers, we have to do that in a certain way. We have to approach God in the same way that Habakkuk approached God. So let's turn to the text now. This is Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll read through to chapter 2, verse 5. I'll read the passage and then I'll pray for us. Habakkuk 1, 12. Habakkuk asks, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of 
purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong? Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, speaking of Babylon, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, uh, as we uh, come before you this morning, we know that you are a gracious and kind God. Father, you are patient. You're good. And Father, we want to see you As that God, as that Father, loving and generous in all your ways, working out a plan for this world, working out a plan for our redemption. Though we may not always fully understand it, Father, not fully grasp your plan, I pray, God, that you would give us grace to receive it, patience to endure, faith to believe. Help us, Father, speak to us now through your word. Change us as a result of this time together. Work by your Holy Spirit in every heart that's hearing my voice. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? Say it right where you are right now. Amen. Uh, God work this morning in our lives. All right, here here we go. In your notes, it says this. When facing crises... And asking questions of God. Here's the approach we're going to look at now. When facing crises and asking questions of God, first, I must not lose sight of who He is. I must not lose sight of who He is. We may be so gripped by emotion. This happens. We get so gripped by emotion in the midst of our crisis that we can, at times, not saying all of us do this, we can at times, not saying we do it all the time, We can at times approach God in a disrespectful way. Habakkuk and God have have already come through in the first 11 verses of chapter 1. They've already come through the first round of Habakkuk's complaints and God's response to that. But the prophet still has more to say, more to ask. And he starts in verse 12 of chapter 1 with this question. Then he makes a statement and he lays down some awesome things about God that we need to hear. 
These things are on their face. You look at them. They're very ascriptive, or what we would say in our worship, they're very vertical. We're getting our eyes completely on God and off of the circumstances that are around us, the horizontal. The prophet's complaints and questions. This is so critical. The prophet's complaints and questions are not at all about who God is or, or even what God is capable of but only about what he is perceived to have done or not done. In other words, the prophet does not question God's character, which we can often fall into. He doesn't question God's character. He doesn't say, God, you don't love us. He doesn't question his character, but only his apparent actions. So in addressing God, he says this, You see, we already read the verse, verse 12, but it breaks down and there's these six character qualities we see of God. Our God is, first of all, he says he's eternal. He asks the question. It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't require an answer. In fact, it's an assumed positive or affirmative answer. Are you not from everlasting? Yes, of course you're from everlasting. You're eternal. You've seen it all. You've created it all. There's nothing taking you by surprise. You have always been. You're eternal. In fact, the second one is very closely related to it. Our God is eternal. Our God is self-existent. He says to him, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God. And he uses that word Lord in the English translations, all caps, L-O-R-D, standing in place for a Hebrew word, in fact, Scholars call this the tetragrammaton. They took the uh, four letters, the four consonants, Hebrew alphabet, for this name for God, and they took out the vowel points out of respect for God. Orthodox Jews to this day won't say his name. But this was the name that God gave himself. Yahweh is the way we normally say it. I am. I am that I am. I'm self-existent. No one created me. I've always been. Then he says this. He's eternally self-existent. He's perfect. He calls him my holy one. No sin, only righteousness. In fact, Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God and very God of very God, he became sin for us. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin for us who knew no sin. God's holy, he's perfect, never known sin. And Jesus Christ took sin upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God. He's perfect. Then the prophet also says in a kind of indirect way, he's faithful. He says in the verse, you can see it there in verse 12, we shall not die. He's reiterating what he knows to be true from the promises of God, that Israel will not die, that God's people will always be his people, that this is not the end. He's affirming by saying this, the covenant faithfulness of God, that God is the ultimate promise keeper, and no matter how things play out, even if the Babylonians roll over the hill, even if they take the city, Israel will not Die, it will not disappear because God is faithful. Then he says, our God is sovereign. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. 
God ordains, God establishes, God judges. God brings the eternal heat. There's nothing outside of God's rule. There's nothing outside of God's control. There is nothing outside of God's plan. He is sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then finally, he says, and it's embedded right in that last part of the verse, he acknowledges that he is almighty. He is the rock. No one can stand before him. His strength is unparalleled. He is, as we say, omnipotent or all-powerful. Now, these attributes of God that Habakkuk uh, reviews here that he states here in a descriptive and worshipful way as a, as, a, as a preamble to the questions and complaints that he'll bring. These become the foundation for anything we would ever say to God. We, we ought to keep these attributes in our hearts and in our minds as we question him about what we're going through because it can be so easy to lose sight of God. How many people who once professed faith in God and were active in walking with Jesus Christ came upon some great trial in their life and and then started the slow drift away? Didn't read their Bibles, stopped attending worship, wouldn't sing worship songs, prayer life evaporated. All of the disciplines that help us to know our God better, that regularly help us to remember these attributes of who we are, we set these aside. And what we do is we end up, we're in the midst of a difficult season, and by abandoning these things, we end up exacerbating the problem. Because now we're not hanging out with Him at all. We're not spending time with Him devotionally. We're not reminding ourselves of who He is. And who he is, is precisely the thing we need to weather the storm. In fact, for um, this series, I'm reading um, Martin Lloyd-Jones's short commentary on this, a series of messages that he preached on this, and he used this illustration that I thought was perfect. Um, He was in England, of course, and so he was talking about walking through the moors, walking through the marshland walking through a swamp or a bog. And if you're doing that ever, if you've ever done that, you know that what you need to do is you need to take very careful steps, one at a time, very deliberately chosen based on where you think you have solid ground, something that's going to hold your weight, something that's going to keep you from sinking into the bog. So your steps are intentional, they're careful, they're landing on the solid ground where you have secure footing, And the ground on which we walk through trials, it's swampy all around us. It it threatens to swallow us up. But these attributes of God, His faithfulness, His power, His eternality, the fact that He's self-existent, that He's sovereign, these are the places where we put our feet. When all else around us is unstable, and unsure, we step onto the solid rock of our God. In fact, Lloyd-Jones said this, the God whom we worship is outside the flux of history. 
He has preceded history. He has created history. His throne is above the world and outside time. He reigns in eternity. The everlasting God. And if you believe that, if you believe that, you can endure every trouble that comes your way without wavering. You can survive any crisis. Don't lose sight of who he is. Even as you ask questions of him, even as complaint may flow from your mouth, do not lose sight of who he is because in the end, that's all we have. God is all we have. All right, secondly, when facing crises and asking questions of God, secondly, I must ask with genuine inquiry. I must ask with genuine inquiry and not out of ignorance. Now, Habakkuk has been told, we saw in the last message, that Babylon, he's praying, Judah needs spiritual reformation, God bring revival. The Assyrians are at our, um, uh, our front door, and we're concerned about that. And God says, I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to answer it by sending in the Babylonians who are worse than the Assyrians. And it isn't an answer that Habakkuk expects or likes, in fact, Sometimes God's answers to prayer are things we don't expect and things we don't like. And I'm sure every one of you has experienced that. So, so he's pressing God for an answer, and he asks the question, verse 13, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil, you're so perfect, you can't even look at evil. You can't look at wrong, he says. Again, he's rehearsing what he believes about God, his theology of God, he says, if you're so perfect, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? I mean, that's a great question. God, why are you using something more evil to punish your own people, to discipline them, to get their attention? We wonder why evil persists in the world. We wonder why trials happen and troubles come and, and, and uncomfortable things happen and, and injustice is perpetuated. We wonder where God is in all of this. And God, of course, he's being patient with us. He is working out a redemption plan. And as you can see that tracing all the way from the creation until the end of the story, parts not yet fulfilled and where we're at in the timeline on all of that, we can see God's redemptive plan working out. But God is very committed to not violating the volition of man. He doesn't want to violate our own wills. We chose to bring sin into this world. We perpetuate sin in this world. It's on us, not him. He's working out a redemptive plan, but he wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose righteousness. He wants us to choose mercy and justice. He wants us to make our commitment to Jesus Christ. He wants us to live in his way. But we have to choose that. And so the question is there, why do you look idly at traitors and 
remains silent with the wicked, swallows up the man more righteous than he. And then in verses 14 through 17, we won't go through this whole section here. We read it together, but it's an extended metaphor of a fisherman and fish and the Jews, the people of the world, they're the fish and they're just being caught by the fishermen and exploited by the fishermen who's just getting richer and richer, wealthier and more powerful as a result of just fishing and taking everything he wants. Habakkuk is saying, I know Judah's in a bad way spiritually. I know they've disobeyed you. I know you need to get their attention. But why does it have to be the Babylonians? They're far worse than the Jews. How could you possibly use them? And again, it's a fair question, and God allows the question as it comes from a pure heart. See, it's not that we ask questions. It's that we often ask the questions in the wrong way with the wrong attitude. Watch, God is is so patient with him because the question comes from Habakkuk out of genuine inquiry. In other words, Habakkuk just really wants to know. He's not being accusatory toward God. He's, He's asking the question out of genuine inquiry. It's not an ignorant rant against God, which sometimes we can fall into. And so, we have this other example of this, of genuine inquiry, as opposed to a lack of faith and an ignorant rant against God, maybe in the birth narrative of Jesus, when the angels, you know, they're delivering the news out that that the Messiah is going to be born, and there were three really angelic appearances that we uh, have in, um, in the Scriptures and the Gospels. And in the birth narrative, we, these angels deliver the news. They come to Mary, who's the mother-to-be of Jesus, and they come to Zechariah, who's the father-to-be of John the Baptist. And Zechariah's response to the angel talking to him, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 18, he says, how shall I know this? But he asks it in such a way that betrays his lack of faith, his lack of belief that this could actually happen, even though he has an angel right in front of him. He lacked faith because all he saw was the massive obstacle that he and Elizabeth were too old to have children. I mean, they were very old. I mean, they were well past the childbearing years. I mean, they were so old, they were older than me and Cheryl old, okay? Mary, she gets the angelic visit. And she asks a very similar question in in verse 34, just a few verses later in Luke 1. How will this be, she says. But that comes from a heart of genuine inquiry. It wasn't that she didn't believe. She truly believed this was going to happen. I'm going to get pregnant. But how's that going to happen? She just wants to know. Mary was called blessed for that. And Zechariah, for his lack of faith and his question that came out of ignorance and not inquiry, He was rendered mute for the nine months of the pregnancy and only got his voice back at the dedication of John. Again, how we approach God is so important for our own well-being and our standing before God. So ask your questions out of genuine inquiry. God, I just really want to know. A heart that believes and simply wants to know, not with a lack of faith, not out of ignorance of the power and the sovereignty of God. Again, rooted in what we know about Him. All right, here's a third. When facing crises and asking questions of God, I must continue to fulfill the mission that he's given to me. 
God's given every one of us a mission. Well, I'm speaking to Christians. If you're a Christian already, listen, you're already on mission. You have a mission as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're watching this live stream and hearing this message and you're not yet a believer, then your mission is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You're, you should be evangelizing yourself right now and, and you should be making an indication, you know what, it's time that I made the decision to follow Christ myself. So we're all on this mission as Christians to, and this is the way we say it here, we're on a mission to love God, love people. That's the, the context in which we do it. That's the thing that saturates everything that we do. And then we say it this way, to, that, that we're on a mission to glorify God by making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and what we have here now in the start of chapter 2, these two verses, these first two verses... Verse 1 is the last part of what Habakkuk is saying, and verse 2 is the starting of what God is going to say in response to him. And so Habakkuk says, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post. Now, this is very common imagery for the prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Habakkuk here all refer to themselves as the watchmen. He says, I'm going to take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. He's going to continue to do, in other words... He's going to continue to do the thing that God had given him to do. He's not going to let the crushing circumstances of his life and what's going on in Israel and what's coming for Israel and all the questions that he had, he's not going to let that stop him from continuing to do the mission that God had given him to do. He's not going to get down. He's not going to lose heart. He's going to continue to be the watchman. And while he's still on the job, he says, he's going to look out to see what God's going to say to him and what he's going to answer concerning his complaint. He's not quitting the life of a disciple. He's not taking a break from being a disciple of Christ while he waits God's answer. He's going to keep serving. And the Lord said to him, verse 2, here's the response. Write the vision. Write it down. Write what I'm telling you. Write it down. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it, so that he may respond, so that everyone who hears this message is going to respond by turning back to God. God is saying to him, the whole thing that I've told you, that you find so difficult to grasp, I want you to tell others about it. I want you to make it very plain to them. I want you to make it easy for everyone to understand. He's saying to the prophet, I want you to live stream it. I want it on your social media. It better be on your website. You better publish books about it. I want you to send it in an email. I want you to preach it. I want you to have coffee with people and tell them about it. I want you to make it very plain in every way you can make it plain. That's the mission. Not just for prophets, not just for preachers. For every follower of Jesus Christ, in fact, Jesus said to his disciples after the resurrection, he said, this is Matthew 28, 19, he said, I, I want you to go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Then he says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I want you to teach them everything that I've told you. In the midst of every crisis and all the troubles we face, 
I want you to do this because people need this message. And when we get so preoccupied by how all of this is affecting me, how it affects me personally, why is God doing this to me? I'm just telling you, we miss the opportunity that God is putting right in front of us to write the vision, to make it plain so that the others around us who don't know him yet, they're going to run to him too. They're going to see the way we're living our lives. They're going to say, I want that. I want what they have. I want the gospel. I want to live that way in the midst of all of the nonsense that's going on in the world and everything that's going on in their life. I want what they have. I want that peace. I want that joy. I want the love that they have. I want it all. I'm going to run to that. So make that plain in your life. All right. Three down. This is how it has to go for the true Christian. It all really comes down into this last one. I must live by faith and wait for his perfect plan to roll out. I mean, if there ever were words that needed to be spoken over the difficult season that we're all in together right now, these are the words, verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Obviously, the trial's not over, okay? It hastens to the end. Okay, we're, all, we're getting there. Things are playing out. And then he says, it will not lie. What God has said, it's going to happen. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. This, this applies to the harsh judgment that's coming, which Habakkuk, by, by the way, this harsh judgment of these Babylonians coming in to discipline the Jews, Habakkuk was not in favor of that. But this also applies to the redemption of the nation, getting them to a good place where they're serving their God and God is blessing them, which Habakkuk was very much in favor of. And so then he goes on, he says this, if it seems slow, man, I love that. If it seems slow, just raise your hand right now if you believe that God is sometimes slow in answering your prayers. Okay, my hand is up. Sometimes it seems that God is slow in answering his, player, his prayers. Here's what God says about it. If it seems slow, wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You say, hang on a second. Objection. It's already delayed. I've already been waiting so long for it. It hasn't come about. God says here, it will not delay. Well, it won't delay. Not by God's measure. Not by God's watch. Not by God's calendar. It's right on schedule. So think about what this means for Habakkuk. I mean, think about what God is saying to him and to the people of Israel at the time. Think about it in terms of how we think about these things. Because we all have our plans, don't we? And sometimes trials and difficulties come in and disrupt our plans. Just think about the last three and a half months, plans that people had to graduate. Years and years of of achievement, to get to a day, to graduate, to get the piece of paper, to have the, resigni- uh, the, 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 the recognition, to win the award. 
plans to go to school that are now all up in the air, plans to have parties to celebrate milestones, plans for the birth of babies, plans for jobs, plans to be married, plans to relocate, plans for retirement, plans for vacation, all of it thrown into the abyss of the unknown. Some of it outright canceled. Everything changed. Not going to be the same. Once in a lifetime events evaporated and gone. And I get how painful that could be. For Habakkuk and the ordinary people who were living at that time, living in Judah in the 6th century B.C., with lives, listen, lives exactly like ours, only they didn't have the internet, but exactly like ours. And God says, the Babylonians are going to invade. A foreign army is going to roll over your borders. They're going to take your city. They're going to occupy your land. They're going to oppress you. They're going to take, take, take from you. They're going to carry away the best of your citizens. Imagine this, an invading army comes in and leaves you here, but takes all the teenagers and all the 20-somethings and takes them back to their capital city to indoctrinate them in their language and their culture and their religion. Read the first part of the book of Daniel and you get a sense of that. Habakkuk, whatever plans you and your fellow Israelis had, they're gone. The rest of your life. Don't think this is over in a year or five years or ten years, okay? This is going to last seven decades. For the rest of your life. Those teenagers that are being carried away, you're never going to see them again. In fact, they're going to grow old and die in Babylon. Your plans are gone, they're erased. Your temple, where you meet with me, where you bring your sacrifices, your temple is going to be raised to the ground. The walls that have identified Jerusalem as the city that it is will be torn down and burned. Life as you have known it, gone. And as hard as that would have been, it's hard for us even to enter into an understanding of all of that. But as hard as it was for Habakkuk and his fellow Jews, we look back on the history of it. We look back now 2,600 years to that event, the invasion of Judah by Babylon. We look back on that and we see God's perfect plan. God did this and God did that. We don't really think about the amount of pain and anguish that was attached to that happening. All we think about how it was all necessary to bring about a change in Israel and to set up the coming of Messiah. We simply look at it as historical information, how the Assyrians accomplished so much and then the Babylonians came in and took over and how they advanced it so much and how the Persians took over that empire and they uh, spread out their influence everywhere and then Alexander the Great and the Greeks took over and the Greek empire established language all over the Mediterranean world so that there was a common language throughout and then the Romans came and defeated the Greeks and established their empire and built roads and built infrastructure. And we look at all of it and we see how all of it was playing down towards 600 years of that 
to that moment when the Messiah came. We see how it perfectly works out in history, but we forget about all the pain that was attached to it. You see, now we're in the midst of our own mess. It's so much harder from this perspective to see exactly what God is doing. But give it a year or 10 years or 100 years or however long it's going to take until Jesus comes back and we'll see how the events of today in our lives personally and in the world as a whole, we're going to see how this is all working together perfectly for God's plan. But we just want it to end for very personal reasons. And God says to us, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Romans 12, 12, the Apostle Paul said, be patient in suffering. Look for what God is doing in your lives. Look for what God is doing in the lives of others as a result of what you're going through. And then God says, the only thing that you're responsible for, it all comes down to this one point. The only thing that you're responsible for in all of this, really at any time, no matter what you're going through, if it's time of blessing or a time of difficulty and trial, this is the thing. In whatever circumstances, you are to live this out, the latter part of verse 4, the righteous shall live by his or her faith. The righteous believers Followers of Jesus, Christians, they're to live by their faith. I mean, that's such a punchy little line. It's used three times in the New Testament. I want to highlight one of these. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, the message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the right, there it is, from Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's quoting the prophet. The means of our salvation, the means of our standing before God, the forgiveness of our sins that we have that makes our passage to heaven possible. All of that is a direct result of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is received by faith, sola fide, by faith alone. The righteousness that we have, the fact that we can be called righteous, we have that because of God. He imputes that. He puts His own righteousness on us through Christ. And so that's the initial step of faith into salvation, into being God's child and declared righteous before Him. But then also this faith is not only initial but ongoing. We live out this faith for faith, he says, each step of the way, our faith revealed in the daily trials and the lifelong troubles that we face. It is faith to save us and faith to keep us that we see here. Well, that answers part of the question, but not all of it. God wants to make sure that Habakkuk also knows that Babylon's not going to get away with anything. 
They're not going to get the last laugh. Evil's not going to triumph in the end. A virus will not get the better of us. All of the social injustices related to race issues in our land today will not consume us. God will make everything right. Notice what God says in the first part of verse 4. He says, behold, his soul, speaking of Babylon, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Babylon is super proud of their abilities. Verse 5, moreover, wine. And this is just standing in for the fruit of their success. We are so powerful. We've accomplished so much and we have so much. We can simply sit back and sip our wine. The fruit of their success that fuels this arrogant presumption about their own invincibility is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed, speaking of Babylon, is as wide as Sheol, as wide as the grave. It catches everyone. Like death, Babylon never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Babylon, Babylon's pride will be her undoing. You and I need not fear that. God will vindicate his own great name. So listen, Christian. All the evil we see in the world today, and we see a lot of it, all of the evil we see in the world today will be dealt with by God. All of it. Governments deal in promises that they have trouble fulfilling. I believe that they're sincere in trying. They operate, though, blindly. Social service agencies do the best they can, but still, tent cities rise up in wooded areas and are torn down only to rise up again because the core issues of mental illness and of, and of addiction and of poverty are going to remain with us. Those are cycles we continue to go through. Despite the very best efforts of those who are sincerely trying to help. And yes, we should do all that we can as believers to embody the gospel, to bring about change, to show the love of Christ in every practical way possible. That is the mission. To be the watchman, to stand on the tower for the justice and mercy of God. And all the while remembering that evil and its byproducts will be with us until Jesus breaks through the clouds and calls us all home. Until we see the long-awaited fulfillment of all of God's promises. Until we see the new heaven and the new earth appear. And until eternity begins for us. Until that day. Until that promised day. Until that glorious day. When God will make everything right. Until that day. I must live by faith. And wait for his perfect plan. To roll out. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are so grateful for your 
love toward us. And I would pray back to you again these attributes of who you are that Habakkuk has reminded us of. You are eternal. You're self-existent. You're perfect. You're faithful. You're sovereign. And you are the Almighty. And God, help us to find these footholds. Help us, God, to walk on that ground. When all around us, God, would threaten to consume us, to swallow us up. God, I pray for those who are watching right now and hearing this message, Father, who have not yet given their life to Christ. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be drawing them in this very moment to make that decision. God, I want to follow you. I want Christ as my Lord and Savior. Forgive my sin. And receive me as your son or daughter. And God, I pray for all of us as believers. God, we are living in extremely difficult times. Father, it's difficult at times to even agree with each other. And we must be unified. We must be one on who you are and what you're seeking to accomplish in this world. And all the other details can be cast to the side. You are who you are, and we are your sons and daughters, and you will fulfill every one of your promises. And our mandate is to stand on the wall and to tell people about your son. And everything else is just details. So God, help us to fulfill that and to accomplish your will in this world. Comfort us, God, with what we've heard from your word today and challenge us where we're at in our faith. And I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.